The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch The Revenant. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What's up, Jason? Not much about you, Kerwin. I'm just chilling, man. Uh, what are you drinking today? Nice uh, Coors Light tall can. All right, cool, cool. And uh, also joining us today is Mugga. How you doing, Muggs? What's going on, Kerwin? I'm hanging out. Uh, what are you drinking? I- I'm kind of mad about this. i am got my wine in Ultra, but Jason brought over Pliny the Elder. We're not allowed to yeah. open it right now. Yeah. I'll let like you know what you can do that. Yeah. It's, it's okay. We just... have Pliny in the fridge, and we're drinking... Ultra. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, just just, wait, just enjoy your beverage. Be patient. You know, whatever. Good things will come to you. And uh, you know, speaking of good things, uh, coming onto the show, David is here with us making his debut. What is up, David? Hello, hello. it's an honor and a privilege. Nice. Thank you uh, for being here. What's what are you drinking, name? David? Yeah, David. Because I'm not gonna call him David. I always call him Geisen. <laughs> so All right. Yeah. Go by the last name. All right. So we're gonna. <laughs> some of us are gonna call David David. Some of us are gonna call David Geisen. <laughs> uh, David uh, and or Geisen. What are you drinking today? Well, since it is the Lord's Day, my water has turned miraculously into wine. Love it. There Love it already. There you go. Fa- favorite you guest. Go. All your other guests suck. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally been said. <laughs> Today we're talking about The Revenant, uh, released December 16th, 2015, produced by Regency Pictures, Rat Pack Entertainment, Anonymous Content, M Productions, and uh, Appian Way Productions. It's distributed by 20th Century Fox. The movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, Damo Gleason, Will Poulter, and Forrest Goodluck. It's directed by Alejandro G. Iñárritu and written by Mark L. Smith and Alejandro G. Iñárritu. So before we get into uh, behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you tell us about the financials? So this this movie was successful. Um, I got $533 million that it brought in, 184 domestic, 349 foreign. It wasn't supposed to cost as much as it did, which you'll find out why it rose so much, but I have 135 roughly cost. So it's, it's, it's bringing in roughly around 398, 400 million. You're saying that this was opening on December, what? 16th? Uh, yeah. I have a couple dates and there's a reason for that. I think I also have like on December 25th, it released in certain theaters, January 1st, and it roughly brought in about a half a million on each one of those. But I have the date of January 8th as like kind of its opening date to all the theaters. And that's where it brought in on opening weekend, 400 million. This is the reason I I was like, why would they do that? I think they did those December ones in select theaters to get it eligible for the 88th Academy Awards. And now that because that was eligible, then they went through on that, you know, then it re-released on everywhere on January 8th, 2016. Um, Opening weekend, 400 million. It did well. Um, It went up against movies like Daddy's Home, Hateful Eight, Big Short, Concussion, Point Break, the reboot of that, Creed uh, and The Martian. Two of those movies, it was competing in the Academy Awards, which we'll get to. But um, it was not number one at the box office that weekend. You know what was number one? What? Star Wars, Force uh, Awakens. Yeah, Force so it's hard to go up against that. Right. And I think Star Wars was in like its second uh, or third week, I want to say, because Star Wars came out around Christmas time, right? Wasn't it? I think it was like December 15th yeah. or something. Yeah. So so Star Wars, so maybe like four weeks then. But Star Wars was making around $42 million that opening weekend that it was in. It was a $40 million. So it, it was right there competing with it. But yeah, it was behind Star Wars, The Force Awakens. So, But a couple of good movies in theater at that moment, you know? So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, that's how much breakdown financially of it is. All right, Jason, so tell us what the people thought of this movie. So looking at Rotten Tomatoes, Tomato Meter for critics had it at 78%, so 78% of people liked it with a 7.85 out of 10 rating. 
uh, with 371 reviews. So a little lower than I expected. The audience was at 84 with an average rating of 4.1 out of 5 with 104,000 votes. So I, I don't know. I was kind of um, I'm surprised. surprised it's low. 78 yeah. to me. I mean, that's a good rating for a normal, but this is the revenue. Yeah. 78 for critics. Huh? Yeah. So it's fresh, but it's just, I thought it was going to be I thought it was going to be like closer to 90, if not over. Um, you look at IMDb, it was an 8 out of 10 with over 600,000 reviews. So kind of right in line with Rotten Tomatoes. It's weird, though, because like you see lots of reviews and you know people always talking and stuff. But I went on iTunes and I was looking up this movie. And this one guy had this review. And I, I, I just don't get it how people do not like this movie. He's like, meh, that was two and a half hours of my life wasted. I honestly do not understand all the good reviews. The story is boring. Could have done in an hour. Lots of blood, gore, and grunting. I just want it to be over. I just... I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that's a valid... Is that Bling that did that? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds Bling-esque, kind of. I think, um, you know... I don't want to. I don't want to like diss people, but I feel like certain movies do go over people's heads, or certain scenes in movies go over people's heads. And I think um, this movie deals a lot with uh, certain themes that are left for the audience to kind of pick up on their own. And if you don't see that stuff, uh, the movie doesn't have any value to you. And you know, not to not to diss people that don't get certain aspects of certain films. You know, we all have our different backgrounds, et cetera, and we'll see things a certain way. But I do think it's the same problem with uh, Inception. Like a lot of people were just like, what the hell's happening? And Matrix 2, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and Matrix 2 and 3, a lot of people are just like, what the hell's happening? It's just a bunch of crap flying around. But there's definitely an intent with the way things are shot, the way things are displayed within kind of the framework of the story being told in order to convey like certain themes, et cetera. So I think that's just the instance of some idiot that doesn't <laughs> know what the hell he just, yeah, I just watched. I feel like you do like one Google search of this movie and you read like a handful of facts. I mean, I knew a few things um, about the movie going in to watch it. So I was already like thoroughly impressed. Right. And I just think on just the aspect of how they shot it, like you have to be impressed. So I just, I don't know. I saw that review and I was just kept sticking in my head. I was like, oh my God. See, I mean, I know we'll get into experience, but when I first watched this movie, I immediately wanted to watch it again. Like just blown away. Like I, it was not a waste of my time at all. And I wanted to even waste more time, I guess, if you look at it that way. But the other thing too, um, you know, I don't want to, at the end of the day, just because a lot of people like something doesn't mean you necessarily have to like it. Mm -hmm. And and that's perfectly fine. There's a lot of popular movies that I may not necessarily be a fan of because of my own taste. But, you know, in this particular instance, you know, Jason, the review that you read, I think this is clearly a case of somebody that probably doesn't have a good taste in movies. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't provide, I guess, a valid reason. Who knows? But whatever. I mean, getting into it, though, can we talk about the awards that this thing got? And I just want to stick to the Academy Awards. So because it did have that release date before the deadline, it was able for the 88th Academy Awards. It was nominated for 12. So it was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Actor, Supporting Actor, Editing, Cinematographer, Art Direction, Costume Design, Makeup, Visual Effects, Sound, and Sound Editing. It only won three. Okay, but I mean, 12 nominations. I feel like that's giving it positive, I mean, like, you know, responses. But I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing in this movie when I watched it was it was definitely enthralling when I watched it, but I really started to appreciate it when I saw all the work and that went into it and all the different aspects that came about, and it made me love it even more when I started researching it. So I think going into it, that's what helped with all the nominations. Yeah. And so it sure. did win for Best Director 
and Best Actor, and it also won, which I think was very, very noticeable, Best Cinematography. Mm. But it did not win for Best Picture. Um, Spotlight won it. I think, Kerwin, you're the only one that, at the table. Have you seen Spotlight, David? I haven't, no. So I haven't seen it. I've I mean, seen it. oh, you have seen it? Yeah. it? Was it? Is it worth it? I mean, is it oh, better than... I I love that movie. Really? Yeah, okay. It's really good. All right, yeah. so it's, it's a fair, you know, okay. Yeah. Because I really love this movie, but... So I don't want to jump the gun here, but do you guys know about the bet that Leo and Tom Hardy had about the Oscars? No, I've not. Okay, so Tom Hardy just, he really thought he wasn't going to get nominated. And so they had a bet. Um, Leo's like, no, no, man, you're going to at least get nominated. You're going to get a nomination for Best Supporting Actor, which he does. So Tom Hardy ends up losing the bet. Well, the bet is that the other person, the loser, has to get a tattoo of whatever the winner decides. Do you want to know what the tattoo is? I'm scared. All it says is, Leo knows everything. Oh. <laughs> oh, on Tom Hardy. <laughs> on Tom Hardy, oh, yep. Man. Where, where is it? I, I couldn't find out okay, where yeah. it is, but I was like, I don't know, I thought where that was pretty cool. It? That's the important yeah. question. Um, do you want to get into Leonardo winning Best Actor for this right now? Or do you want, I mean, because, I don't know, I know, Kerwin, we've already had a side discussion. I mean, do you think he deserved it? Or, because prior to this, he did Wolf of Wall Street, again nominated. And I think he was nominated twice also, one for The Aviator. Am I wrong? In another movie. I can't think of the top of my head, but I know he's been nominated for and he's never won for best actor. Mm-hmm. Here he finally won. I don't know if it's controversy. Was this one of his best performances? I don't know. What do you guys think? Personally, I think he should have got his first Oscar for Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, he should have got one he, for that he one. Should have got, yeah. He should have won for Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, in this movie, um, do you know who, who he was up against as far as best actor for this movie? I think you had Christian Bale in The Big Short. I think you also had um, Matt Damon in The Martian, which I think his performance was really good. I don't know other ones that I can think off the top of my head. I know that he did lose, I think, to Wolf of Wall Street. I thought, wasn't it uh, Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club? Yeah, that sounds great. I think that's what he was. And Wood Jets, I mean, that was a great performance too, you know, but I thought Wolf of Wall Street was great. But uh, he was uh, he was up against uh, Michael Fassbender too for uh, Steve Jobs. Oh, I love that movie. And then uh, Eddie Redmayne for uh, Danish Girl, the Danish Girl. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, tough competition. Uh, that's tough competition for this for this yeah. time around. Yeah. Uh, well, for when he was nominated for Revenant. Um, you know what? You know, we were kind of talking about this, like you said. I personally thought, you know, I enjoyed his performance more. I thought it was better in Wolf of Wall Street. But you did kind of enlighten me on a lot of stuff that we'll get into in behind the scenes about kind of the. I guess the uh, physical hurdles that had to be endured to, oh, yeah. to portray this um, during production, et cetera, that kind of made me take a step back and think, you know what, you know, acting is much more than your delivery of the lines or how great you can deliver the script. There's, there's definitely a lot of emotive stuff and physicality that goes into the role. And I think he definitely does a lot of that in this movie. So yeah, I would say, I would say best actors. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cinematography. I think we can all agree. This movie is visually just like a masterpiece. Um, I do like the directing of it. I love his, traditional long cuts, you know, and everything. I, I The costume, not the costume, I'm sorry, the, uh, the makeup, I'm surprised that didn't win. It did get nominated, but the way they show his body throughout the whole post-bear attack, as well as like, I mean, I remember the part where he's already at the fort and he's in, he's talking about how he wants revenge and he's already died. He's not afraid to die anymore, whatever. His lips and his face just look so raw. And I'm like, this guy looks like he's in hell. You know what I mean? And I, I don't, I don't know. I just think that, I don't know what one makeup, but I, I was really impressed with the makeup, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I found it weird though, that the editing was nominated because it's like, there's so many times where it's just a long cut. Like did the editor really have to do a lot? I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's weird to me. Like when, especially that opening scene, it's yeah, just so you know, long. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, but, but, but yeah, 12, 12 uh, nominations, three wins. I think that's a successful movie. I mean, but whatever. Yeah. 
All right, so uh, Mugga, take us behind the scenes of the movie. So The Revenant is a semi-biographical film directed by Alejandro Iñárritu. Did I say it right? Yeah, okay. That's probably the only yeah, time I'm going to say it. Okay. I'm going to refer to him as Alejandro, I think, hopefully from here on out. Still can't say Favreau, though. Can't, can't. But I got Iñárritu. And I'm even like rolling my R, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, so, directed by Alejandro Inaritu, with the screenplay done by Mark Smith. Uh, both Smith and Inaritu based the script off of Michael Puke's 2002 novel, The Revenant, which describes frontiersman Hugh Glass's experience in 1823. So, this is a real guy, right? Um, the novel is actually based off of a poem named The Song of Hugh Glass from 1915. So, I know that we have our interpretation of the movie, but I think, Jason, you did research on the actual Hugh Glass, right? Yeah, so I have some information about the real Hugh Glass. So I researched a little bit, and there is a channel on YouTube called Weird History where I got um, a lot of my information from, and they titled the video that I watched. It's called The Revenant. Protagonist was even more badass in real life. My title for this section is going to be Hugh Glass, The Most Unlucky Man. (laughs) Can't imagine why. (laughs) This guy, I mean, yeah, we see a lot of bad luck, uh, with him in the movie, but man, you you talk about everything leading up to that point and then some. Like it, it is bad. So from this video and some some of the research I've done, he was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania, in 1783. So Scranton, I think one of our favorite shows, The Office. Yeah, I love it. So he was uh, a man of the sea for quite a while, and on one of his trips, he was boarded by a pirate uh, named John Lafitte. He boarded his ship and pretty much told Hugh Glass and the rest of the people on the boat saying, hey, like, you can either become a pirate or I'm going to kill you. So Hugh deciding he didn't want to die, he became a, he became a pirate uh, for the next few years and did what pirates do, pretty much murdering and stealing and stuff like that. So he, he did this for about two years. And uh, after that, he, he, he decided to escape. So he jumped overboard. He swam ashore to Texas. And he thought he'd be safe, but he was not. Uh, he was met by, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this name, the Caracowan Native Americans, who were known to be cannibals. And these Native Americans, they, they wanted nothing more to uh, devour or eat a European pirate. So knowing this... Well, I don't... I don't- a European pirate? They they wanted to yeah that's that it's was like, like like a sirloin to them. <laughs> yeah, that, that was something that was very treasured to them. Yeah, in, I don't know why, but that's what they wanted. I mean, I would imagine they've been, you know, had some troubles with pirates in the past. Well, they've but. had every, every other flavor of pirates. So. <laughs> yeah, they're like, hmm, this sounds like a delicacy. Uh, so, I mean, knowing this, he had to make his way through their territory um, without a map, which he was able to do. He was traveling with another man. Um, I don't know his name, but he was traveling with another man. And as they escaped from John Lafitte, and they made their way up through Texas, up into Kansas, where they were captured by a tribe of Pawnee Native Americans. It's funny because Scranton, Pennsylvania, Pawnee, Indiana, you know, think about Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, yeah, I love it. Um, This part I don't like so much, though. Uh, They hung Hughes' traveling partner upside down and rammed pine needles all over his body. And then they lit him on fire and made, yeah, they made Hugh Glass watch this knowing he would be next. So after he watched this uh, and before they were able to torture him, Hugh had like a sack or a bag of vermilion, which is like a red powder substance that could be used for war paint or other things. And the Pawnee loved it. They, they, They totally dug it. So the Pawnee accepted the gift 
and released him and even invited him to stay with them for a couple years, which he did. So he stayed there for two years, even taking up a wife during his stay. Hugh Glass, though, he he decided to continue his journey up into St. Louis, where he first entered into the fur trading business and became a mountain man. So he's living in the mountains. He, he lived off the land. He trapped beavers for their pelts and traded them with other tribes and mountain men. All of a sudden, he found this ad in the Missouri Gazette by General William Henry Ashley of the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. And he was asking or calling on for about 100 men to ascend the Missouri River on a fur trading venture. Along the journey, they encountered a tribe of re-Native Americans that they wanted to trade with, but the, the re didn't want to trade, and they ended up killing a large chunk of the men that was in the core of 100. So I, I think this is where we're kind of seeing that opening scene of The Revenant. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the men, they're on this trip, or this venture, and the, you know the, the re want nothing to do with them. So what happens is the, the re kill a lot of the men, and the remaining men decide to light one of the re's villages on fire, killing women, children, men, everything. And that's what sends these two groups into a war. Okay. Hugh survived along with 13 other men. So out of the hundreds, just Hugh and 13, or so a total of 14. And they decide to keep pushing forward towards Yellowstone to trap beavers. At one point along the journey, Glass entered a cleared area in the wilderness that ended up being a bear's nest. The bear attacked Hugh very similarly to what we see in the movie. You know, they're slashing him. They're tearing huge chunks out of him. Uh, The the, the bear tosses these chunks of of flesh to their cubs. Uh, Hugh was left not able to move, see, or speak. The men did the best they could by bandaging him up and created a makeshift stretcher. So kind of similar to what we see in the movie. And they continued their journey to Yellowstone. The weight of Hugh, though, just kind of like what we see, it's too much. Like you're carrying, like you're literally carrying dead weight, essentially, around on a stretcher. Um, And with the terrain of the mountains and the wilderness, it became too much. So General Ashley decided that two men would stay behind with Hugh. Uh, which ended up being Fitzgerald that we see in the movie played by Tom Hardy and then Bridger played by Will Poulter. And I, it's hard for me to look at this Will Poulter kid as like a mountain man because <laughs> all I think about is we're the Millers. That's yeah, all I think about. Yeah. And, you know, the one, the one kid that has regrets or no regrets, you know, tattooed on him like really yeah. badly. He goes up to him and says, like, what are you going to do about it, eyebrows? And that's all I think about when I see Will Poulter because that's, that's all I think of. So it's hard for me to, like, see him as anything else. Um, but essentially, those are the two left, and they're waiting for him to die. After five days, Hugh's still alive, though. With the re-Native Americans still looking for them because of the mountain men burning down their village, Fitzgerald removed all of Glass's provisions, so like everything he had on him, so his rifle, any extra shots, and Fitzgerald and Bridger decided to leave Hugh to die. They dragged him down by the river and left him. So, I mean, he only has one arm that can work, one leg that can work, and he he's barely alive, but he manages to drink water from the river. He ate some berries that were within reach to survive. Um, the thought that he was left for dead did not sit well with Hugh, and he wanted to confront these men. Like wow. he, he has this real like drive and desire, like we see in the movie, to go confront these men. So he decides to crawl hundreds of miles. Um, crawl. Crawl. Jesus. Yeah, crawl on his one arm and one leg that can work, you know, through this difficult terrain to get to Yellowstone. Along his journey, he saw a pack of wolves attacking a buffalo. 
and he scared them off so he consumed some raw buffalo for nourishment. And I guess there's a lot of really good nutrients inside right. buffalo. So when we see that scene of him actually eating raw meat, I mean, he, he did this. He would also stumble upon uh, an abandoned Native American village that was now occupied by wild dogs. Um, this is a scene that they don't show. Uh, he would end up capturing one of the dogs and eating it. I was gonna say, they did show uh, a village or somewhere that was abandoned, but they didn't show the dog being killed, huh? No, they, I don't. Dude, this guy is just vicious. Yeah, I don't think they'd want to show. I feel like that would turn the audience off if you, they showed you that. You can't kill a dog in a yeah, movie. You yeah. can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. John Wick will come after you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so after some time of healing and, and, you know, moving, he was able to start walking. He ended up being able to heal some, but except for his back. From what they're saying that his back was just covered in maggots because it's an open wound. You got to imagine it's been a few days, weeks, maybe a month by now. And it's just it's really infested. Hugh then encountered a village of Sioux Native Americans. The Sioux were actually willing to take him in, care for his wounds. And this is the weird part that like I was reading on this is that they sewed bear skin onto his back to cover up the infected maggot infested wound. Jeez. So I don't know how that would help. I guess it would like kind of cover it, but I don't, I don't know why they did that, but I'm sure they, they had to do what they had to do back in this day. Um, the Sioux took him in and they also took him to Fort Kiowa where he stayed for a couple days. But again, determined, he demanded a boat right upriver in search of the men that, you know, screwed him over, leaving him behind. So, so far, Hugh had crawled and walked over 250 miles through the wilderness. This boat ride to take him up to Fort Kiowa would be another 300 miles. You know, upon reaching his destination, they see that the village has been taken over again by re-Native Americans who would end up killing all of the men that he was with again. So this is now the second time that Hugh is left almost alone because of the re-Native Americans um, killing a lot of his men. So he's on the run again through the wilderness, uh, being hunted down. Just as the re were about to capture Hugh, a tribe of Mandan Native Americans came to his rescue and took him to Fort Tilton Trading Post. Instead of resting like he should have after this six-month journey to find the men that, you know, kind of screwed him over, he was determined to keep pushing on and finally ran into his old company who was staying at Fort Henry along the Bighorn River. But only Bridger was there. Uh, and because, you know, he, he's shown as like a younger kid, which he is, Hugh kind of gave him mercies, kind of thinking like, hey, he's a younger guy. And it's really Fitzgerald, played by Tom Hardy, who was the one who was responsible for all this. Hugh stayed at Fort Henry for a few months because the winter was so bad, but would later get on a boat and head down to where he knew that the rest of the fur company was, including Fitzgerald. Um, and this was at Fort Atkinson. So along their journey, they ran, they ran into what they initially thought were Pawnee Native Americans, but they were re-Native Americans. And Glass was in yet another life-threatening battle. So this is now time number three along his journey where he is being hunted by the re-Native Americans. Some of the men got away on a boat and made it to Fort Atkinson, but Hugh was not one of them. He was once again, okay, this is what I'm saying, he's the most unlucky guy. He was once again alone in the wilderness, on the run from the re. With nothing but a pocket knife, Glass made it another 400 miles to Fort Atkinson. I Think about how far 400 miles is. Dude, he he, he really got his steps in. I, I, uh, really? <laughs> I, I can't imagine going a few miles not knowing where I'm at. I can't, like, he's yeah. going hundreds and hundreds of miles, not only crawling, walking, by boat ride. 
it's insane, but, but I like on like crazy wilderness terrain and having people after you this whole yeah. time. It's just, it's crazy. So he makes it to Fort Atkinson. Hugh found Fitzgerald, but now Fitzgerald was part of the U S army and was government property. And because of this, Hugh could not kill him and get his revenge or he would face death. So, so after all this, He's unable to do anything to the guy. He can't do anything to this guy. So he. So what happened after he ran into him? That's about it. Um, <laughs> this, this, this sucks. Yeah. There was an epic fight in the Revenant, though. Like, what the hell? Yeah, no. So there's no <laughs> epic fight. There's no throwdown in some back wilderness and the snow and this and that. No, no, no. Which I love that fight at the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's really like you get to see him get his revenge and the whole thing. But according to this, according to other research I've done, that he did not get that at all because he was part of the U.S. military at that point, the U.S. Army, that he was now protected and he was not allowed to do anything wow. like that. So what, again, unlucky. So what, what happened to him? Like, did he just say, well, shit. I, he didn't end up doing anything to him. I, I couldn't find anything what happens after this. It's, it's really like about this whole just journey of this man. But that's literally like where this research stopped. So he just walked back. And that's, yeah, it's just, I would imagine he lived out his rest of his days around Fort Atkinson, or I'm sure he didn't want to be friends with Fitzgerald at that point, because I wouldn't no. want to talk to that motherfucker ever again. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the real, that's according to them, that's the real story of Hugh Glass, which is, it, there are some parts that are close to the movie, but I think there's some other stuff that is just like, it really shows just how unlucky, but how... Wow. Just how much determination that this guy had to go have his vengeance. I got a question. So did his son factor into that story at all? Did he have a son? No. I so so. I, everything I read, he didn't have a son. There's some that say he did have a wife. Um, some say he didn't. But yeah, there was there was no talk about a son anywhere in this. Well, I, what I saw, because I didn't know about the son, they put that in the actual script for Hollywood for the movie because... They didn't think it was as believable of a guy that just left them. You would have that much anger. So then they did the son factor being killed. Okay, now I've got to get that, revenge on you know my boy Hawk. Yeah. I totally agree. Which that I don't. I, I know it works. Do you like it, it or no? I, don't I, I liked it. Okay. I did. Yeah, I, I got some. I got some trash about that. Oh, okay. but we'll get to it later. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you guys, but we'll kind of hold off yeah. on that. Yeah. That's amazing though. That but yeah, that's, that's some of the history about him. So like I said, you can see some ties to the movie, but there's definitely a lot that they fabricated or Hollywooded up. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, Do you even want to talk about the movie or are you just talking about that? <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, this movie's directed by Alejandro. <laughs> um, so prior to that, he did Birdman. I think he also did Babel. Is that how you say that movie? Babel. Babel. Yeah. Is that movie yeah. any good? I've never seen it. I haven't seen it either. I've never no. seen it. Okay. Um, I had to look up that Mark L. Smith guy. He did movies called Overload, The Whole Vacancy, and Vacancy 2. Do you guys see any of those? Because they did a great job on this movie. I just, I've never heard of any of that. But anyways, um, so starting the production of this movie, this movie was starting to develop in 2001. Producer Akiva Goldsman acquired the script from Michael Pukes, I think that's his name, then unpublished script. Um, it was rewritten for them by David Rabe and then picked up by director Park Chan-wook with Samuel L. Jackson in line to star. <laughs> I was like, yes. what? How is that possible? 
But anyway, yeah, that was there. That did not happen, obviously. Um, however, Park left the film and then development basically uh, stalled until 2010. So for nine years, nothing really happened. Um, in 2010, Mark Smith wrote a new adaptation for producer Steve Golan's anonymous content. That's an entertainment company that started in 1999, and he's the CEO. And they announced that director John Hillcott was attached to direct, and they were in contract negotiations. This is interesting, with Christian Bale to star. I don't know what do you guys think about that. Christian Bale. I mean, that would be impressive, yeah. right? Would it have been a better movie or not? I don't know, man. I, Leo did such a good job with this. I don't know. That'd be I mean, he won an Academy Award. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were, yeah. Talking about, we were talking about this earlier, but um, the entire time I was watching this movie, I, I was thinking like, man, Christian Bale should be in this movie. Like the entire time I was watching, I was like, I feel like Christian Bale should be playing this role. And then, you know, when you read up on the movie and you see that Christian Bale was like either attached or like they hope to get him on the film. I, I can Makes see sense. why, yeah. But, you know, I, I feel, me personally, like, I would have liked to see him in this role, but I think Leo did an amazing job. So. Yeah, yeah. Leo did a, a great job. Well, if, if you're thinking of, like, a frontiersman, it's about, I mean, I know Leo is, I mean, but he did a great job, but Christian Bale would have, I think, fit the, I guess, profile a little bit more. Yeah, because when you say Leo without seeing this, you're kind of like, Leo in this kind of role? Yeah. Like, I mean, I He just know. did Wolf exactly. of Wall Street, yeah. Jordan Belfort, you know. <laughs> I always think of what's eating Gilbert Grape when... I see anything with Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> yeah. so he did awesome, but, you know, that's just my mindset. So anyways, Christian Bale was not on the movie, and uh, Coat later left the project in 2010. Other directors were considered, but Alejandro eventually signed on in August 2011, and producer Goldsman was also back on the project with We Road Productions. New Regency production joined on with anonymous content, and 20th Century Fox was confirmed to distribute the film. Alejandro agreed to direct after that. He began working with Smith on script rewrites. Now, this is interesting. Um, in an interview with Creative Screenwriting, Smith admitted during this process he was unsure if Alejandro would even be able to film some of the sequences they wrote. He recalled he would have some ideas, and I would say, Alejandro, we cannot pull this off. And he replied, it's going to work. And he would say, Mark, trust me, we can do this. In the end, he was right. What do you guys think? I mean, there's some intense scenes, you know, like, I don't like the, the horse falling off the cliff. I mean, that river scene, all that. So I, I don't know. But yeah, I guess he was like, look, you cannot do what you're trying to do. But I mean, in the end, he was right. So um, then you get into filming. Um, and this was put on hold in 2012 because Alejandro announced that the next film he wanted to direct was Birdman. Has anyone ever seen that movie? Yeah, it's OK. It's OK. <laughs> I, I, I love it. But the reason why I bring that up, it's one like continuous long shot for the most part. That, you know, that is impressive. Which is what he kind of brings into this film. But mm -hmm. um Basically, that was scheduled for shooting in March 2013. Alejandro then scheduled to begin production of The Revenant immediately after Birdman wrapped up. So that's why he did these films back to back. I mean, two great movies. Um, financing this movie was interesting, though. Um, they were given $60 million with $30 million funded by New Regency. Um, it was also given additional funding by Brett Ratner's Rat Pack Dune Entertainment. Um, some other companies helped finance it, um, but it obviously went over production, way over. And I think a lot of that has to do with the weather and all that, which we'll get into. But one of the things that was funny is that Tom Hardy and Leonardo DiCaprio were given contracts by a pay or play. Do you guys know what that is? Have you ever heard of that? No. So I don't know if they had skeptical things about like, hey, this movie was going to like actually be made or whatnot, but that basically is that requires them to get paid regardless if the film is ever even completed. So I thought that was interesting. But um, Alejandro really wanted Leo and he hadn't worked in two years. The last film was The Wolf of Wall Street. He was also in getting uh, Sean Penn for Fitzgerald, hey. which I thought was, I don't know, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Would that have been an interesting choice or no? <laughs> he's a great actor. Yeah, you know? he's a great actor. It would have been, you know, Sean Penn's always intense. 
So. I think Tom Hardy nailed it, though. Don't yeah, you think? Tom, Tom Hardy did it, man. I he think did. Yeah. Tom Hardy sounded like the first part of the scene. He sounded like Boomhauer, though, from King of the Hill a little bit. I got that just a little <laughs> bit. But definitely. I But I, and I, I had read that, and I tried to. I don't know why that never ended up, like, falling out. I couldn't. Does anyone know why Sean Penn? Or you just heard that right now from me? I just heard yeah, that. I don't, so me. I don't know why that never did. Um, Leonardo really wanted Tom Hardy to sign on. I guess he was already set to do a movie called Splinter Cell. Does anyone know what that is? Yeah, Splinter Cell is a, it's a Tom Clancy franchise uh, or game in the Tom Clancy franchise. And so they've had like multiple games on like Xbox, Xbox 360. So they were supposed to, it was supposed to be like a video game movie. Did they ever even make it? I mean, nah, he was so attached. Never... Yeah, he was attached for a while and then that movie just never came to be. Okay. Um, so then, yeah, I guess Leo begged Hardy to read the script because I guess he's known for signing on without even reading it. And so Hardy ended up reading half of it and immediately signed on. Um, because filming took longer than expected. This is interesting. He was unable then to do Suicide Squads after. Did you know he was supposed to be on Suicide Squads? Yeah. So what, he was, was he, what character? He was supposed to play Rick Flagg, um, Joel Kinnaman's character. Oh. Yeah, so he was supposed to play uh, essentially the lead, I guess, if you want to call him the lead, but the soldier that leads the squad into into wow. the city. But um, yeah, he dropped out because of this movie, and then that's how they got uh, Kinnaman attached to the role. Do you think he's happy it went that way or what? Well, he did Venom, so. Oh, that's right. I can't forget that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we get into the the filming. Um, now, this one is uh, is interesting. Um, Alejandro wanted to film the movie so unique, something that the audience had never seen and couldn't recognize, um, like the actual like landscape and all that, because it was shot in 12 locations and in three countries, Canada, U.S., and Argentina. And they started in Calgary filming, and then they also went to Fortress Mountain in Calgary, which is a little bit west of it. And uh, there are some other locations they did in Canada. The waterfall scenes that you see in the movie were filmed in, uh, I think, Libby, Mount Montana. And the plan was to film eventually the whole thing up there in Canada, but because of the weather ultimately became too warm they then had to pack up and move to Argentina to shoot the ending of the film so I thought that was interesting and that's the whole weather they wanted the snow and all that stuff which brings me to another point the reason why they're filming the ending part out there in Argentina is that Alejandro said that he originally wanted to shoot the film in chronological order or a process that would have added seven million to the film's production budget and I wanted to talk about that so they started with the opening scene and everything you see in it in chronological order do you think that's a good idea is it worth seven million I, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, did he not have a script supervisor or what? Because I mean, that's the only reason I could think. Well, why he, he, he says it out that in order, he says there's a reason for it. So I have Alejandro later confirmed that the film was shot in sequence, despite Hardy's statement that the film couldn't be because of uh, weather conditions. Um, that lasted around nine months. This is the reason because it allowed the characters to age and physically change as the story progresses. Okay, that makes so, sense. And it does make yeah. because if you look at Leonardo's character when he's injured by the bear and he's got to progressively get better, I, I kind of agree with that. Seven million is a lot of money. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have noticed. Worst. Seven million? I don't know. Yeah, it's just like. Yeah. What's seven million? You know. What's seven million? <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's an Academy Award. There you go. Yeah. So, anyways, but Karun, I also want to go. It took nine months for this of actual filming, relatively compared to other movies. Is that a lot, or I mean, it seems like a lot, right? Uh, I mean, it depends on the movie. It, I mean, I think a movie of this scope, kind of being actually on location, and you have to take into account that it's uh, snowing, the environment, and yeah. all that other stuff. You you kind of have a limited window, and depending on the location, um, you know, I, I know Argentina dips. Is Argentina the southernmost country? Does it extend that far in South America? Um, sorry, guys, I don't have a map on me right now, <laughs> but um, I um, I would think that um, 
would have to affect the amount of sunlight you get as well as filming in Canada, depending yeah. on how north you are. Yeah. So I think um, that would definitely affect, uh, you know, the amount of natural light you have because didn't they have the same issue with, uh, wasn't it Oblivion? Did they have the same issue? Like they could only film certain parts or whatever? Um, that I don't know. Because up in Iceland is when they were doing it. Yeah, yeah I, I could I could be totally wrong. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I do know when you shoot in, um, I guess, more frigid locations, sunlight can be limited depending on where and, you are. And some of the cast in Calgary basically had told them like, because I guess the winter that they were up there, they had gotten a lot of like bad storms. They're like, we've never seen it like this. Like you're just kind of unlucky. But then it got warm real quick also, which they had expected the, the winter to go longer. So they had to go down to Argentina. Here's another reason though why it did... Um, I think take nine months to film the fact that they wanted to use natural light. So they basically did not want to have any lights and all that. They wanted to use just everything natural. Um, they only had a couple hours each day to film every scene and it had to be planned out and well thought through. Well, that's, that's probably why then because, yeah. because they use so, natural light. Yeah, yeah. They wanted all the natural light. Um, Alejandro has said that by the time they would go to the location set up and all that stuff, they had wasted basically like 40% of the day. And then the remaining day they had like the two hours or one and a half, depending on kind of like what I read is how long they could have of actually film a scene. And then they had to pack up and go. And then that, so they had to have everything planned, well thought through, um, because of this production rose from 60 million to 95. And with the cost of production, it had reached 135 million, sorry, post-production 135 million when it was all said and done. I like how this looks with the natural light and all that stuff, but I have had friends that have complained that it's hard to see. Do you guys think it's hard to see because of the natural light? No, I don't either. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I had, I had a couple people say it was hard like at night. Now I, I did hear a rumor, um, or I read about it that the night scenes with the fire, they couldn't get the fire lit the entire time. So they had to use light bulbs in order to shine that on to get that light because the wind was like blowing it out. Other than that, yeah, it was all natural light. So. I thought that was I thought that was interesting. I mean, should you ever never use light anymore for a movie, or is this changing the game? Or not? Nah, no. I mean, once again, it just depends on what you're trying to do. You know, sometimes you shoot night scenes in the daytime. Sometimes you need uh, things to be lit specifically, depending yeah. on what your director of photography might want to put out there, or how you want certain figures to look against certain backdrops. So it, it all depends on what the filmmaker's intent is. Yeah. You know? So some other interesting facts about filming, um, Alejandro wanted to minimize the amount of cuts to make it feel more real. I don't know if this was the only camera they used, but I have a 6.5K AARI 65 camera. Do you guys know what that is? No, no I, don't know, I don't know either. I had to look it up a little bit, Numbers. but um, it was the first time it was to be used in a feature film. Um, the camera would be very intimate many times at minimal focus distances to feel the real terror and emotion of each character, which I think you kind of get, I think, especially in the opening scene. So I like that. Um, it's, it was wide lens and this was to show the natural point of view. Oh, we could, we could tell it's wide lens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was the natural point of view as if you were there, which I do like a lot. There's a lot of times where you're like just totally lost in the movie and all that. I don't know if you guys want to discuss it. I mean, especially in that opening scene when he's yes. going through the water up to the boat or whatever. Yeah. Oh my God. Like yeah. you feel like you're really there. It's, it's insane. Yeah. I love that. And I like how the, like stuff in the distance is not in focus because exactly. that they want you to feel that. I, I don't know. I, it, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it created like an ethereal type feel, like almost like a heavenly yes. weird looking. It was, it was eerie. Uh, yeah. I definitely liked it. So because of those movement is exaggerated in a wide lens. So camera movements were slow, um, graceful and exact. 
Um, the Revenant is one camera perspective shot in three modes of operation. I got handheld, Steadicam, and crane, and this created a seamless rhythm of language, and this allowed Alejandro to move the camera around and give the freedom to do his continuous long cuts, which is, I think, very what you see in a lot of the stuff, it was, it was, especially it was at the beginning. Yeah. Especially at the beginning. So I thought that was interesting. Do you guys like the long cuts, though? I mean... I, me personally, I love it. I, I do, and I love Birdman. Mm-hmm. Um, he does it a couple times. Like I think the one mm-hmm. at the beginning is 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 one of the ones that we'll talk about. But there's also the uh, the horse where he jumps off the cliff. Mm-hmm. That was like one continuous oh, yeah, one. There's a too. couple other things that he does. Yeah. Obviously, the uh, one we'll get to is on the river stream. I thought that was no. amazing. But mm-hmm. here's another factor, though: the conditions that they had to work on. Um, many of their crew quit because of the rough conditions of filming. I think that was created not only by the weather, but by the director I'm himself. Maybe yeah. Um, they did not use dollies, and the crew said it was probably the most challenging they've ever had to do. They actually even brought in a meteorologist to like help monitor the weather in Calgary. Like, hey, what what do we got coming to like plan and all accordingly. I've never heard of that. Have you ever heard of like a set having their own meteorologist? Like, I thought that was interesting. I'd look at my phone. Like, if the production is that dependent on the weather, you have to have it. Huh? Yeah, I think yeah. it makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't know if you need like a meteorologist on set, but they, I mean, they had their own. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a weather app on your phone. You can yeah. use. The only, yeah. the only time I heard of that was in I think in the Aviator mm. with Leo. Um, they're shooting some movie and there's some big dog fight scene with planes, and there's no clouds, so they planes look still so they have a meteorologist from UCLA be on set to track the clouds that's the only time I've ever heard of a meteorologist being on set Um, so going through all the factors this film was a complete challenge to create Um, they did because of this make a documentary to show this it's a 44 minute documentary called A World Unseen and it highlights the process of making the production it was released on January 21st 2016 on YouTube you can go watch it I actually watched it did anyone watch it it's interesting um but yeah, I mean, I know we're going to get into a couple other scenes, but that's basically the gist of it as far as what broad things they want to have anything else they want to add. Just to speak about the conditions that they're working in, I, I, again, reading all kinds of articles and doing some research for the movie, I, I read specifically there was one instance where they were trying to interview some of the cast members and ask them how it was going because it was really cold and the conditions seemed really bad. And there's one, I guess in the opening scene, there's a naked man that's been injured. They're dragging him across the ground and it looks really painful. And one of the crew members like, hey, is that guy okay? Like, I know we need to get this for this shot, but is he going to be okay? And Inuritu was like, well, let me ask. He asked him if he's okay. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, he'll be fine. And it's just very cold and short. Someone else comes and asks him about it and says that, you know, crew members are complaining, the conditions are really harsh, and Inuritu was like, no, they're lying. <laughs> Shut and down. I was like, uh, okay. He just seemed like, it just seemed like the conditions were really bad, mm-hmm. and it seemed like Inuritu just, he wanted to get what he wanted to get no matter what the cost was, and just against all odds, you know, shooting chronologically, I just, yeah. it just sounds, sounds like a tough shoot. Yeah, I was reading that, that a lot of the people on set were just getting sick, getting the flu, just, and that's why people kept leaving too, like yeah, you were talking right. about earlier. Lots just the yeah, just the conditions. And the way he filmed it, though, I think it was like the hardest thing for them to ever film. It wasn't like your normal, like well, yeah, they're know. rehearsing all day, yeah. and then they have a ninety-minute window that right. they're actually filming, and it's like it just seems very strange. All right, so I think now we can kind of get into I think some of the specific scenes and break those down. I've if you guys want to add a scene, let me know. I've broken it down to the opening scene, which I got some facts about that. We've got to talk about the bear scene. I think that's 
iconic. Was, we haven't yeah, said anything yet about iconic. iconic. Um, I do have where the bison liver scene, if you don't oh, know yeah. what that is, obviously you'll find out in a second. Um, the water scene where he's running from the Native Americans, and I also have the avalanche. Does anyone have any other scenes that are key to this story that you want to talk about? I don't know. Dave and I were talking about uh, the very end fight scene. This we could talk about brutal. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's another one. That's well, let's just let's go in chronological order, just like in your E2 did, okay? <laughs> um, so the opening scene. What I had read, they did a month of rehearse just for this scene, like a month. Like, and it's like, I mean, cause so much is going on. It was shot in Calgary in September. The first part that you see where they're walking up glass in the sun, they're walking where they go kill the elk. And then minutes later, the camp is ambushed by native Americans. They had over 200 actors for this scene. I think that's amazing, right? 200 actors. Well, I think it started out as 30. Yeah, it's and not then, 30. And then it grew into 200, and then it's like, So yeah. 200 actors, dozens of horses, bows and arrows with rifles, all going at the same time. There's not a lot of cuts, especially when that fight scene's going on. And it's, it's I mean, to pull that off, like, I mean, like I'm a teacher, so I have 35 kids in a class to get them to do the same thing at once <laughs> is horrible. And you have this much going on, you know? Like, I, I think it's impressive, and he does it as one, it, I mean, there is cuts, I get that, There's, but there's not a lot. It's like one continuous take for a lot of the parts. I, I think it's impressive, man. I mean, you got horses and everything going on. I, I don't know, I just... All of a sudden, you lose that this is a movie and you're right in it, right? You know that's what I got out of it. But yeah, and I feel like there's there's one little part where like one of the guys gets shot with a bow and arrow, and then a Native American comes by on the horse and hits him like on the head, and then the camera starts going with the with the Native American on the horse, and it's just like. It's, and there's no cut. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. There's yeah. like so many cool parts like that just in that 12 or 15 yeah. minute shot. Yeah, that opening scene, um, one of the things I really did like about it or I noticed about it was that, um, you know, it would pan wide and then uh, it would zero in on one moment of action in order to make like a like a pseudo cut. Like there was no actual cuts, right. but it would focus in on one element of the action and then pan on to the next, which I thought was was really cool. So amid all this chaos, um, it's given you kind of like a, a highlight of specific instances on this battlefield, you know, amidst all the chaos and everything. Right. And I thought that was a really good way to kind of transition in and out of the battle. You're up close, you're far away, you're getting tons of different viewpoints of it all. And I think they did it in two takes. Did I read that right? I, I didn't read that. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, because I think once that battle starts, it's a continuous shot. Right. Like Kerwin said, it does like hyper focus on certain people and then kind of pan back out. But I think it's a continuous shot. And from what I read it, they did it in two takes. Yeah. It really sets the tone of the movie too. I mean, you kind of, I mean, are like just you're, in, you're, you're yeah. sitting in awe. Yeah. yeah. So it almost I felt like that. a video game. I felt like when you were following. Oh yeah. So the next scene that I think we, bear, right? So that's the <laughs> that iconic one of this. Bear. Yeah, bear. bears, beats, okay. Um, so <laughs> this is what I have on this one. It was played by a stunt double guy. He was like 6'4". Um, he would have to shake him around and he literally thought at times he was hurting him. He was stepping on his head. You do see that, all that stuff. Um, he said it was hard for him to actually do. He was physically demanding because he had to pick up Leonardo and I, like throw him around and do all this other stuff. However, like I also read that in order to get the movements for DiCaprio, they had him on cables, I think, and they were like shaking him Mm -hmm. back and forth. And they just said that everyone was impressed on Leonardo DiCaprio just bringing it. They're like, dude, this guy isn't, and they're like, no, he's bringing it. He wants it to look as authentic. And they talk about the direction of this scene. Alejandro watched, I believe, close to 10 actual bear attacks that were caught on film to get an idea. (laughs) That's kind of bad, right? You know, but anyway, so he watched that. But he did not want to make the bear feel like a villain or like a bad guy, something that you hate because it's like, hey, Mm -hmm. he was in between 
the cubs and the mom, which is the one thing you don't do, obviously. I mean, I don't want to be around a grizzly bear at all, but, mm-hmm. but he was in between them, and he just said it's just protecting her cubs and all that stuff or trying to get food, whatever it was. But it's And I don't know if you really hate the bear, right? You know, I mean, just kind of like, well, this is bad, you know, yeah. but, but I think he did a good job at, like, protecting the innocence of the bear itself. I mean, I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, I mean, it's like what they told us when we all went to Tahoe last year is like, um, like if you see cubs, get the fuck out. Like yeah. do not ever go near a bear cub ever. Cause the mom is close by watching, like yeah. stay away. And yeah. I think if you know anything about bears and nature, just any animal, stay away from the kids. The bear saw the, the guy close to the kids and you know, he kind of got what came to him. It, it's impressive too. I watched a video this morning actually about the script to screen where they have the script right below with this, the, the actual scene going on. And it, it's just how detailed they want glass to look. He notices cubs, doesn't feel a threat, but here's something. And then out of, it was really kind of cool. If you guys get a chance to watch that, I thought that was impressive. But yeah, the, the guy said, I literally thought I was hurting Leonardo DiCaprio, like stepping on his head and everything. It is pretty, pretty wild. Are we going to mention? And I do want to mention that because before I, and I'll get into my experience. My brother's like, we can't watch this movie. And I'm like, why? He says, because there's a scene where... Leonardo DiCaprio gets raped by a bear. And I said, what do you mean raped by a bear? And he goes, no, no, like he, like I read, he gets, he gets raped, raped by a bear. I was like, there's no way oh, no. he's getting raped by a bear or the Academy would put this up for best picture if that was the case. So obviously it's not getting raped by a bear, but you said that there was like petitions or like... There was, there's different groups that host websites where um, parents go on to inform other parents about what movies, you know, children shouldn't see or if there's, you know, certain circumstances and certain movies that, you know, are not appropriate. And I guess they went on there and said they had to clarify and say, hey, we see all of the the media focus around this. There is no bear raping <laughs> or Leo raping by a bear in this movie at all. Like they had to make that very clear so that. You know, people knew that, hey, it is violent, but there's no bear raping. It just, it became a huge thing about this. I remember hearing about that the whole time and seeing little clips of like the bear on top of Leo and like, I don't know, you watched the movie. I never, if I would have never heard that, I would have never, ever thought thought of that. that. My mind wouldn't have gone there. And I feel like I heard that before the movie came out. Like it was for like a, from a preview or something. I'll get into my experience, but I watched it before it came out or sorry, before it won the awards at the Uh Academy Awards because we wanted to watch this before. And literally, like, it was, so it's in, like, January that the movie had been out maybe a month now, you know? So it's, like, it happened right when it came out or prior to that. I don't know. But I remember the buzz about it was Leonardo gets raped by a bear. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. There's no way, you know? I've never heard a single thing about you the didn't bear hear You didn't about hear that? about it? No. Uh, where, well, okay, where do people, okay, first of all, where did this come from and what that's it no there's no second of all it's just like where the hell i'm telling you this is my experience i didn't do research on it but i remember hearing from my brother because we wanted to watch it and he was looking it up and he said he gets raped by a bear it's on the internet i said no he does not but i'm I'm, what i'm curious about is like who saw this movie or saw a preview and their first thought was oh he's getting getting raped raped by a bear i have no idea the world But, but i remember like kind of you know interested in seeing this movie before i heard any of this but and i think i went on i just googled it or something like that and i swear to you like twitter posts all kinds of stuff kept popping up on that search saying leo gets raped by a bear in new movie yeah, like I, I knew there was a bear attack in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the the full scope of the plot or anything. I just assumed like, oh, it's a guy in the wilderness and like this bear is after him. You know, that's just, yeah. you know, yeah. not knowing anything about the movie when it, you know, was released or before it was released. I just knew that, oh, there's a bear in the movie and Leo's alone in the wilderness. That's all I knew about the movie. 
is this coming from people that saw it didn't see it like what what about this made them say what's up with the bear rape i don't know I, I, I mean, it's been a few years now. I don't remember either, but I, just, I remember seeing posts multiple about this. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't like can, it. can we bring up, though, too, like, because, Corinne, you just watched this for the first time, what, a week ago? Uh, yeah. And you said this scene, you had to walk out. I wanted to know how, like, intense it is. It's kind of uncomfortable. And there's no raping going on. I get that. But I'm saying, like, no, it's, I mean, but it's like he is, like, just it's really wrong attacking the you know and it's you're kind of like you got to look away at at a certain Mm -hmm. point you're like dude this is how does he get out of it i mean it's really intense there's a there's another instance at the very end of the movie where i i was like i almost had to shut my eyes and i was like kind of cringing a little bit too like oh my god i can't believe they're doing this like there's a couple parts in this movie where it's like the violence is it's kind of I mean, it fits, but it's a little over the top. Yeah, and that's the thing. I feel like they take it one step further than what we, you know, they're like, oh, there's a bear attack, but then there's going to be, let's make it really, really intense, really severe, and really raw. And that's what I think, dude. They're trying to get that real aspect. Yeah. Also, really long. It, it came that, back it for is, that is, It's like six minutes long. That think, is a right? long ass. Yes. Like, because not only does the bear leave, but like when he shoots the yeah. gun at it again, it just continues, and that is a long ass sequence. Like it just goes on and on and on. I think the worst part is like once it's all done, like he starts to move, and I feel like you hear bones just breaking. It's it's the worst sound. Oh my god. Yeah. So we're here, you know, in California, where it's bear attacks aren't that big of a deal. Right. But like I have family in Alaska, and they bears just walk the streets there. Wow. And it's black bears are a little different than grizzly bears, but to see that. Like, you know, you almost have to like, I think I should walk out of this. It's really, really intense. It's crazy. All right. Quick question, not to deviate from the movie too much, mm-hmm. but like when you have like bears crossing the street, are people just like, cause I know like in some places animals are just mm-hmm. part of the ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, as well as, you know, kind of coexisting with humans and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Would that be the case up there too? Like, oh, bears just happen to walk through and they just know like, I'm just walking through. I'm not going to screw with anybody. Like, yeah. That's like a thing. Yeah, basically you stay away. You don't really walk the streets too much in the wilderness. So you're either in your car, you're at your house and it's crazy up there. Bears aren't the big focus of being angry. It's actually moose. Moose kill more people than bears up there really but this uh, there's a lot of black bears grizzly bears are a completely different animal and seeing that i'm not sure how real that is i don't want to research bear attacks on real people but <laughs> wow yeah uh, anyone got anything else on that scene it's iconic right gotta say that. I, I think that's an iconic scene I agree. well you ended up mentioning too it was really interesting was how it focused on leonardo dicaprio's head and the camera followed it the whole time so you really got like a feel and you were it was really intimate see i didn't i didn't notice that and kerwin did mention that before yeah. i gotta watch it now again so it's not focusing on the bear it's more or less leonardo dicaprio to get his mm-hmm. perspective of what he's going through huh? i mean that's what yeah because most you know i'm just gonna make the assumption that most uh, scenes where you have like an animal attack, it's like animal attacks, you know, uh, aren't as prolonged as this one is. They never are. Um, you never really see the the violence that the animal's causing. Um, usually it's just like, oh, a bear popped up and swipe. And then that's yeah. it. Kind of like the Jurassic Park style where maybe you get a couple seconds of the T-Rex picking up the guy and eating him. Yeah. And that's usually how it ends. But this, um, it goes into the different actual techniques that the animal will use to kill its prey or its adversaries. So the um, 
uh, dislocating of limbs, the crushing of bones, the uh, where all the vital organs are, um, stepping on his head trying to crush it, stepping on Leo's head yeah, trying to crush force it. Trauma. Yeah, it's it's very real because these are all things that I would assume I'm not a bear expert, um, at least not yet. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's showing you all the techniques that uh, this animal would use to to kind of end an opponent, which is very just raw. Um, and coupled with the fact that Inaritu's filming style is to be very up close, especially in this movie, to the human subject in frame, the focus is entirely on Leo. So when that bear walks away and comes back, you think it's over. Yeah, you think it's over, but that camera sticks with Leo the entire time, his suffering, trying to get back up, loading his his rifle or his gun or whatever, and then you see the bear run back. Like you, you feel every ounce of pain because any other director would have cut away from what was happening at any given point to kind of hide the gruesomeness of it, maybe not showing the techniques that the animal would use to to kill a man or any other being or human or whatever. But I think because you see everything laid out so explicitly, so up close and without any cuts, it just intensifies just the rawness of that experience. Yeah. And it ended up playing with me because when I when I saw him get the gun and point, I'm like, oh, you know, here we go. He's going to be able to shoot the bear and the bear. And that just made the bear even more angry. And I was like, oh, there's no hope. All right, moving on from bears to bison. Okay, <laughs> okay. So bison. This is a interesting scene. So he is like at this point crawling, surviving for his life. Comes across another Native American mm-hmm. with him already eating parts of a bison. I think it yeah. was. Yeah. And so he tries to crawl up, and he wants to. Eat. So Leonardo DiCaprio has to eat, or his character has to eat the actual bison livers. It's a liver, right? Yeah. It was. It was a liver, and you know what? I really gained a lot of respect for Leonardo DiCaprio just learning this because from what we researched, he is vegetarian. He supports a lot of vegan type endeavors such as Beyond Meat, which is now I think at all Carl's Jr.'s and um, just a lot of protein based foods. And for him to pretty much how I can explain how it works, he he basically was given the shot and they said, you need to eat the bison liver and that you know you need to be real raw with it also and he looked at it and he said you know this is gelatin it didn't look real when he was eating it and he really wanted to really show some compassion or basically really get something big from this scene so he said you know what let's do the real thing I guess it's a Native American tradition I kind of looked it up and actually having or eating bison liver it has a lot of amino acids it prevents starvation it's blood contains carbs so it's like the full thing for when you're actually like starving so he actually did that with him being vegetarian he got a real reaction too as you can see he just like throws up basically i mean i'm not vegetarian and i feel like if i eat that like <laughs> yeah my yeah yeah and me being vegetarian i like i felt very attacked when they're like oh let's do the <laughs> let's do the revenant and i'm like oh that's where they shoot horses and eat <laughs> i'm like great thanks guys but um but looking at that and knowing that uh, Leo is vegetarian, it just makes me respect it that much more. And I was looking at it, he said, you know, eating it is, you know, it, it's not like biting into a steak. There's a membrane around it and it looks like a balloon. And when you bite into it, it bursts oh in your mouth. So, um, yeah, just reading that, I was like, eh, no, thank you. But it shows his dedication for sure. See, I didn't know that there was all those nutrients in mm-hmm. the bison liver because when I was doing the research on his actual life of Hugh Glass, they said that when he ate it, he got like reinvigorated and like 
kept pushing on even more and like harder. And I'm like, he ate some bison liver and it's magic or something or what's going on? I didn't know that it was full of all of these hey, nutrients. Let's now, do it. now that makes sense. Let's do like, it right now. We're all going to eat some bison liver. You're not down. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So but yeah, he, he actually ate it. I guess he, I saw an interview where he's talking about, it. he like says the reaction that you're seeing is like real. Like I was disgusted after I bit mm-hmm. into it and all that. So you said he threw up. Yeah. Well, his- yeah. That was one of the people that were on stage. They said, it looks like he threw up and I would too, if I haven't eaten meat at all for a long time, I'm not sure how long he's and been then vegetarian. You go to that. <laughs> yeah. But then you eat that, that'll mess with your stomach and yeah. we don't even eat raw meat as it is. Yeah. So. I mean, I eat meat, and I'm, I'm like, I would not want to do that. No. Like, I think I would be gross no. out and probably a vomit as well. Of blood oh. bursting in your mouth. All right, David, we got that's it. a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of alliteration right there. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, next scene is the uh, the water scene or the river, however you want to describe it, where he's leaving. I think this might be my favorite scene of the whole movie, but he's under uh, like a little like. I guess, cavity in the riverbanks or whatnot. And all of a sudden he notices, hey, here comes Native Americans. And he thinks that he can hide out when he realizes that they've caught on to his little area that he's like hanging out at. He's got to just escape. So he ends up going down the river and all that stuff. So I guess what they were supposed to do was supposed to do a Texas switch cut where, hey, have Leo go in and then basically be a double in there. So on. But I guess Leo was like, no, no, it, it's gotta be me. Like I have to do this. And I guess they try to talk him out of it because it is dangerous. You know yeah. I mean? You have an A-list actor, you know, and he didn't realize when you have all that fur coat on that he had and all that stuff, it added like 40 pounds. So when he went in, um, yeah, he, he like immediately realized how dangerous it was. They did it twice, but here's what I found interesting about it. They had the cameraman like go in there with him. And so his job not only is to follow Leo, but like to go back and forth through the Native Americans up. And so he's going under, I, I thought that was impressive because that is to me an intense scene. Like I'm like, dude, is he, how is he going to live this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not only can you not walk, now you're in the water just dying, you know, like, and it's got to be cold as hell. I mean, there's no way it was, but, and I, I think during that time, didn't Lena almost suffer from hypothermia? Like, cause it was just so cold for him. I, I don't know, but I, I think it's one of my treasures of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. Yeah. When, when, when I first saw it, you should think hypothermia, but I just thought, Oh no, his fur's getting wet. That's the first thing I, <laughs> I thought of. And I'm like, Oh no, it's, it's drenched now. But yeah, he actually went down a stinking waterfall. It's crazy. You think about it. Cause like, not only is it super cold, and then, like, you have all these furs and everything on you. Not only are the Native Americans chasing you, but then, like, you get the fur wet, too. And it just weighs you down even more because it gets it, – it's insane yeah. to do that. I guess they had, like, boats down further on the river, and they actually had professional divers ready in case. And they're like, Leonardo's the one that's actually going to do this now. You can't let him go. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, they, they, it, they, it was all safety, you know. But, um, but I, I think it's impressive to get that angle that they did. I, I, it's one of my favorite scenes, but – but yeah, I think, I, and I could not confirm this though, I think he had a wetsuit underneath though to help him out. I think I read that too. That I, he had I think a he did. I, I remember when the movie came out, but I couldn't find anything recently about it. You that know, would but. be smart because you can't see it. You just throw yeah. some yeah. fur yeah. over it. I mean, I think die. at that point you're nutty if you don't do it. Like you've got to put on a wetsuit. You've got to do something to try to stay warm. But I mean, going through all this, you've got to have an appreciation for him as an actor, like doing this stuff, you know? And pushing to do it. Like, oh yeah. Uh, going like, against Because the they didn't want him to. Yeah. Like they were like, no, no. And he's like, no, I have to do this. You know what I mean? This was his idea yeah the other one that I'm getting into is the avalanche scene which it's not very long but I think it's an important scene that's where they filmed up in Argentina and 
you think it's CGI. It's not. They're out in that little valley area where they can see that background, and they lit a thing of dynamite. And the 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 guy running the camera, as well as Leo, had to just you get one take at this. That's all we're doing, you know. And so what you see is that one time where that after the shot, his partner goes down because um, he's out there with two guys, right? So the the shot creates the avalanche, and you see that in the background. And they quickly pan to his face, and they got one take at it. I, I think that it's not CGI is pretty kind of cool. I mean, it's like a real avalanche going on, you know, and it just looks cold as hell, just cold as hell. Yeah. It may have been dynamite, but I read that he had planes drop explosives on the mountain to create the avalanche. Well, this guy goes all in. Dude. Yeah. So like the planes dropped it on to create the avalanche, but it's like not only you coordinating that whole thing, but you also have to work with the cameras, the actors, the horses, everything. And you're right. I think they only did it one time to get that. Jesus. It's insane. The scene's not a very long scene either. No, it, it, but it's it's cool. I mean, it's I mean, important. Does it, you does know? it have to be in there? I mean, no, it <laughs> I mean, doesn't. Does it I mean, to? I love like, that it is, but yeah. So, but yeah, that's that's kind of all I got for uh, behind the scenes production, all that stuff. All right, so let's get into our experience, Jason. What was your experience with the Revenant? So I actually I watched it with Mugs for the first time, and I I remember. Mugs just talking about this movie. I know, you'll get, I know you're sick of hearing my experience. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to try to not tell, steal his experience, but um, it, in a sense, he wanted to recreate that. He's like, I, I didn't come over with all the his roommates and watch it like they did, but he's like, dude, you got to watch this movie, but you got to watch it a certain way, and like, it's going to be badass. You're going to love it. He's like, How just you? like Oblivion again. It's really crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Lights are off again with this time too, and I'm just at least it's in the living room. I felt safer, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I don't want to steal the show from Muggs, but I mean, I I did watch it with him and I kind of recreated what his experience was the first time. And again, he just hyped the shit out of this, but at least this was a good movie. Unlike Oblivion. So it worked out. Ouch. Really? Really? Ouch. (laughs) But yeah, that's it. So Muggs. Yeah. Mugga, what's your experience with The Revenant? So I have to like start this off by at my house, there was my brother that I was living with and his now wife, but at the time, you know, girlfriend, whatever, she wasn't living with us technically, but she was, you know, she was always over here, all that stuff. And we had two other roommates and kind of like a little family thing that we had. We'd always, you know, make, it, it was just a good group of people, except now one of them is not, I'm not going to get into that. But, uh, um, and if he's listening, whatever, you know, I don't care. But anyways, um, we always watched Wolf of Wall Street. Like that was like our go-to movie. And we all, Leonardo DiCaprio fans, and we watched the Oscars and he did not win that one time. Then this movie comes out and he's up for it again. And we really wanted him to win. I was like, well, let's watch The Revenant. We got to watch The Revenant. So please don't, you know, think less of me. We watched it on a fire stick. You know, I did not pay or anything. You know, yeah, we watched it on a fire stick. Oh. Yeah. You get to think less of me a little bit or no? So... At, yeah, at my house, we, we had gotten the movie at, at, in my living room. We all were excited to watch it, this and that. It was in January, and so we literally created like this environment where lights are off, we put the fire on. It was cold as hell outside, you know? But it was one of those things where they don't like a lot of the movies that I like. I mean, we all love The Wolf of Wall Street, but like they like different movies than they say I'm Siskel Niebuhr, I analyze it too much. But on this one, we were all like together. So all five of us watching it, it was just a great experience. And I don't know if that's why I love the movie a lot or it really is a good movie. But I remember, you know, like he gets attacked by the bear and then doesn't like talk for what, 30 minutes of the film. And we're just complete silent. I mean, no one's on their phone. No one's like talking. No one's like sidetracked. We're just completely engaged. And I had to mention, I was like, do you guys realize that he has not said a word for 30 minutes and we're just so involved in this? And they were like, well, thanks, Mug. Now you just ruined it for me, you know? But I was, but yeah, it was, we all still talk about it to this day. It was 
one of our most enjoyable nights, I think, like together. But it, it was it was a great night, great film, everything. And then I've you know marketed it, you know, by trying to get everyone else to watch it. But yeah, that's that's my experience. All right. So David, what's your experience with the Revenant? I actually never saw it in the theaters. I gave it, you know, a good two or three year gap before even looking into it. And I actually regret not watching it sooner because I really wanted to be part of the movement when it was, you know, when it was nominated for all these Academy Awards and just when it had the spotlight in the media because it really, it definitely took violence to another level. And I felt it like as I was watching it, I was glued to the screen. I even text my dad, you need to watch this movie. Like, it's interesting. It's definitely caught, caught my attention. So, yeah. All right. Uh, my experience with the movie, um, always knew about it, never really took the time to watch it. Actually rented this movie a year ago on iTunes. Oh, you did? I rented the movie, but those 30 days go by so quick uh, if you don't pay attention to what's in your queue. Um, so, so Muggs didn't walk you into a dark room and show you this movie or anything? Uh, thankfully, he did not. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, but you didn't that, watch it, right? What's up? You didn't watch it right then. Yeah, no, I didn't watch it that time. Like, like it expired on me, and then I just never thought to rent it again because I knew it was like a big movie. Um, you know, Leo won the award, of course, and you know a lot of people were talking about it. So I tried to rent it. Um, I think it was like during or after Oscar season. Because you're usually when you hear of nominations, if it's a movie you haven't seen, then usually make an effort to go see it or find a way to see it. I'm surprised that you have never seen this movie, especially being like a. You know? Yeah, like, um, so yeah, usually, you know, anybody that knows me, um, I'll watch pretty much any movie in theaters throughout the year. And then when Oscar season comes around, that's usually when I pick up on the movies that I haven't seen yet because there's a three, maybe a four to one week gap before the Oscars at which you can start renting yeah. a lot of the nominated pictures on iTunes or Amazon. Um, but for this particular movie, I waited like a long time to do anything about it. And I just decided to rent it last year, never watched it. And then, you know, that's pretty much it until you hit me up about a week ago saying, hey, let's do The Revenant for our next episode. And I said, cool. I've always wanted to see it. Now now I have like a legitimate reason to kind of force myself to watch it. Um, I watched it maybe three or four days ago and I uh, liked it a lot. So that's my experience. Yeah. So let's move on to Trash or Treasure. Jason, what's your Trash or Treasure with this movie? Okay, so I have a lot of treasures and not many trashes personally. So I'll start with the trashes just because there's not a lot. One, and we kind of alluded to it already earlier in the podcast, was why'd they put the kid in? I understand that it helps with the movie. Them just leaving Leo there to kind of die, taking his gun, taking everything he has, I guess they viewed that that wasn't enough motivation to warrant all of this violence after um, and all this vengeance seeking. But I mean, they just throw something in there that I, when I was researching the real Hugh Glass, like, I never found anywhere. So I, that was kind of a trash for me, although it works for the movie. It does provide that additional motivation. It kind of, it rounds out, you know, why he's so vengeful, but I, I don't like that. Some people were saying that Tom Hardy should have won an Academy Award. Like if you could choose only one person, either Tom or Leo, they said Tom did a better acting job in the movie and he warranted an Oscar. What do you guys think about that? I kind of agree. I mean, I really, I, I think he, you do hate him in this movie. So if you can only pick one, so if it's like, hey, Leo is one and only. Yeah, now, now I know where you're going with this and I'm going to retract my saying because I do love Leo too. I don't, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. All right. So what I'm going to say is this, Tom Hardy's excellent in it and for best supporting actor, you know, he did deserve his nomination. I'm of not gonna, course. I'm not going to say one or the other should have been picked, um, but I will say this. If you're going to pick one actor, um, Leonardo had to do much more. He yeah. had to do yeah. much more with zero dialogue 
and his acting involved a lot more physicality, um, you know, being kind of bare in the elements and suffering from all of it, just like his character was, having to act in the bear attack, having to be in the water, having to be in the cold, all these other things. He had to do a lot more work, you know, as the star actor, you know, that's just how it works. But he had to do a lot more than Tom Hardy. So, like, I can never discount yeah, his performance. Yeah, right. yeah, I can never discount his performance in favor of Hardy's. I think they both deserve the nomination, but I, I don't think this is an either or discussion because what was required of them was so different. No, I agree. I just, there was just outrage. I kept reading about it that people were outraged that Tom Hardy didn't get it and they would have rather have seen Tom Hardy get it as opposed to Leo. Like, I, I kept reading that a lot. So I, I didn't like that. Personally. But they'd be nominated for totally different awards, though. No, like, no. I know they were both nominated for two different ones, but if you, if only one person could win, they think that Tom Hardy's performance warranted a win more than Leo's did. You know what it is? Going back to the whole guy on iTunes talking about, like, oh, you I know. agree. Yeah, I think, I think it has to do with the fact that. Leo didn't have much of a speaking role and therefore people who I guess can't appreciate the smaller details of a physical performance, you know, the amount of work that goes into it, they assume that, well, Leonardo DiCaprio didn't say anything. He's just by himself the whole time. So he didn't do, he didn't act. Which is to me so like and harder I think, to do. You and know? I think yeah. that aspect of acting goes over those kinds of people's heads. Yeah. It's like, don't be outraged. Like they both got nominated. What are you like, outraged yeah, for? I, I, know, I know Castaway is not really one of Tom Hanks' best films, but it's like to do what he did on an island by himself, I'm like, not a lot of people can do that, which is what Leonardo DiCaprio is doing a lot in this movie too. You know what I mean? Just you're on camera and you just need to act without talking. Like go. You and know? I feel like, like that's, that's a lot of the same stuff I've heard people yeah. say who have seen um, Gravity with Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great movie. Oh yeah. But it's just like, it's about a person, you know, in a solitary space having to survive. Like there isn't going to be a lot of dialogue. It's going to be a lot of physical, emotive type stuff. And I think the kind of people that say Leonardo didn't deserve it, you know, should he have won based on his competition? That's, that goes into a whole nother discussion. But as far as like, um, deserving a nomination or deserving a win, I think that kind of stuff goes over those kinds of people's heads. Like they only see acting, you know, one way where you have dialogue and you do stuff with people, you know, they don't, they don't see the solitary stuff as expert or taking any effort. Right. And I think that goes over a lot of people's heads. But I know it's not really a trash with the movie itself, but it's just more a trash of stuff. I just kept, I kept seeing pop up when I was doing some research. And then my last trash is the Bridges character. I don't know. I just, I, again, reading about the real Hugh Glass and about some of these characters, um, yes, he was supposed to be a teenager like he is, but he was supposed to be a real person. And I don't know, I just like a, like a real rugged, like mountain man type of person. And he was not that. So that was like my only other trash, really. So my treasures, again, uh, we're going to probably repeat ourselves a lot. The opening scene is amazing to me. It gets you hooked right from the get go. Um, really impressive with that continuous shot. I think Tom Hardy does an amazing job, too. Yeah. He had merit to get his nomination. Uh, he did a great job. Cinematography is awesome. And like Kerman was talking about, too earlier that just even though there's a lack of dialogue it keeps you so engaged and glued to the screen i mean it takes a really good actor to do something like that like you're talking about tom hanks and castaway in this movie it's it's amazing leo getting in the water i think awesome scene uh i kind of like how they do the canteen where bridges character kind of draws that that little uh design on it the dreamcast logo the dreamcast logo <laughs> yeah and you see that you know pop up throughout the movie i kind of like that and then my last one is kind of mug you already talked about it but when leo gets to that fort 
and he's finally made it there and he's sitting in there and you look at his face and especially lips. his the lips. Yes, yes. They are so, so chapped. chapped. And I'm like, so like Dude, he, I'm like, this guy needs lip balm yeah. right now. Like the, right now. The, the attention to detail, I think, yeah. in just that part, because I mean, that makes so much sense. Like it's cold as hell. Like probably hasn't drank a lot of water. Just barely hanging on by a thread of life. And it's like, his, he's just, I mean, yes, you can tell some of his wounds have kind of healed. The one thing that kind of was in the real story as opposed to the movie was that his, that gaping hole on his back was filled, filled with maggots. I'm kind of glad they didn't show that realness. But I think the lips, I don't know when I was watching it, I was like, and I watched it again this morning, I'm just like, oh my God, his lips are just atrocious, but that's probably how it was. But I mean, that's all I got for Trash and Treasure. All right, Muggs, what's your Trash and Treasure? It's hard because I don't have a lot of trashes either. You know, I same thing with you. I don't like that they put the sun in. I guess even though, it, I guess it makes sense for the movie, but it's like that's not how it went down. You know, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't like that. Again, I'm reaching though. You know, see how you guys feel about this. They do a good job of putting you there, right? You know, like you think, hey, you're there, this and that. There is twice because I've watched the movie maybe ten times. There's twice. You already know where I'm I going with this. Say, yeah. Am I wrong for thinking this way? I know that audience. Okay, I like it. The opening scene when the horses run by, they kick up like water, dirt, and it goes on where you can very clearly see there's a screen mm-hmm. now. And at that one brief moment, I'm like, oh, I forgot. Now it's a movie. But then it quickly sucks you back in. But then you go to the bear scene, right? You know, and they clear that it's the fog. And yep. it's just, I don't right. know if I like that because I look at it as like, there's a camera screen right here and that's what is causing this. And I don't know, it really, it, it, for a moment, it, and again, I'm reaching. I, I, to me, I'm like, I can bypass all this, you know? But I look at it as like, it clearly shows me, okay, it's a movie, just remember that. And then like, it goes, but I don't know, I don't. It happens again too at the very end in the fight scene. The snow. Snow and blood get oh, on and the Oh, blood lens. gets on it? I get didn't see that, lens, I had to yeah. look at that again. And like, I think that's cool. But why Why do you think it, because to me, it, like, you're in it. You're like, okay, what's going on this night? All of a sudden, you're like, oh, yeah, it hit the screen. Like, you don't think that? I never, like, not one of those people that completely loses my sense of self oh. and think I'm in a movie. So, like, I, I realize the whole time I'm watching a movie. So, like, <laughs> even, like, in The Walking Dead, they do a lot of that, too, where the blood gets onto the camera lens. I don't know. It feels like I'm really there. It feels like you're really there. For me, I'm agree with you, Muggs. I feel like I'm really there because of the proximity of the lens to the yeah. subject matter. But when, that was one of the first notes I wrote during the bear attack. Yeah. So uh, Leo's breathing on the lens and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That took me out of the movie because like I felt so immersed prior right. to that. And when, you know, dirt here and there, maybe water hitting a lens or whatever, that's fine. But like when you get to the character breathing on the lens, I'm just kind of like, okay, like now, now you've built a wall. Like yeah. I, used, I used to be in this environment. I used to be in this environment in the movie. Now you're creating a separation for me, whether intentional or unintentional. You're separating me from the immersive experience yeah. that you want me to, yeah. you know, kind of fall into. And that's also one of my trashes. I, yeah. I got the same trash as you, yeah. but yeah, I felt that way. Like I think, you know, for certain films, if they kind of have that aesthetic or that look or that feel or like that style to it, I don't mind it happening, you right. know, on the camera. But I feel like the way this film is shot and the uh, intent behind it to create such an immersive experience, um, it, it works against that. Yeah. It definitely yeah. works against wow. it. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I, I and like again, it. this does not at all refrain me from mm-hmm. like not recommending or watching this again. I'm just saying if I had to pick, that's what I got, you know. Interesting. And, and that's all I got for trash. <laughs> I really do. I mean, that's all I got. And moving on to my treasure, um, I know we're probably all going to have the exact same, I guess, 
most part for the treasure. I, I do love how visually this looks. I mean, I know it does it a lot, but the upward angles of the trees, I love, you know, oh, I yeah. mean, the scenic backgrounds, all that stuff. I really, really like the water scene. I don't, I don't know why. I just, that part, you're in the middle of it. He's going through hell and I, the way they set his character up and then he has to like basically try to get out of a situation that is totally like screwed, you know, by these Native Americans. I don't know. I just, I, I love that, that the camera's in there. I, I don't know. I just, I love that, you know. Um, I'm surprised you did not bring this up, Jay. You didn't like the music. I like the music. I, I really did like the music. Like the way, eerie, eerie at times. And you're just like, it almost confused. Like, I, I don't know. I really, so I brought that up and, and there's a bunch of other things that I do like the opening scene, the, 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 the long shots that are just continuous and all that. But the music and the visually, the music and the water scene where he's going down the river, I, I think are my big treasures. I just want to leave it at that. I, I just, I don't know. I, I just, that water scene to me is just so intense and the bear scene is too. I'm just saying, I get that. But Sometimes it's hard to watch the bear scene, you know, but the water scene, you're just like, I'm like, is he going to make it? Is something bad really going to happen? I know it's a movie, you know, and all that, but so he does make it. But I was on the edge of my seat when I watched it for the first time. Yeah. The way they like shoot him and then they go back and they up go to the Native Americans and, forth, and then they yeah. come back and you're just like, oh, like you have that sense of danger. And, the and whole then you time, see you know? like the arrows and all that stuff. It's just like, dude, this guy is just... Yeah, unlucky. <laughs> Dude, he way to look is at so it, unlucky. Oh but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. But I, the music. I'm surprised you didn't say the music. I thought you would have for sure jumped all over that. Uh, the music was good. I felt like a lot of times it was really subtle, um, but it was good. Yeah. But okay. I don't know. I, I always say the music. I gotta change it up sometimes. Yeah. Right. But yeah, that's all I got. All right, David. What's your trash or treasure for this movie? Right. So I'll start with trash. There's not much of it. Um, but I actually, this is kind of petty, but I didn't like the voice of Leo towards the end. He sounded like Peter Baelish from Game of Thrones. He had like a, uh, you know, I don't know. It was just, it just kind of bugged me. It was real petty. Acting was great, but just that one voice I did not like. Uh, I would like to piggyback on what Jason said. Bridger, I felt some disconnect with his character. He, he's a great actor, but I just wasn't fully invested in all the characters. I was fully invested in Fitzgerald and I was in fully invested in Glass. So maybe that's a good thing um, on, the, on the reason they did that. You know, you really got to see their two stories, but I just wasn't fully invested in a couple of the smaller characters. For uh, Treasure, um, the continuous shot, yeah. and I, I, I definitely am a fan of that. I was a fan of it in Roma when they did the last scene. I was a super fan of it just because it puts you in the moment and it shows what perfection really is because yeah. there's a time where you're like, this could mess up at any time. I wonder how they and did it's so hard this. to do, huh? It is. As a so director, hard. yeah, there's an, an actors too. Yeah, you know, and but. it sometimes definitely takes you out of the movie experience because you think about how it is edited yeah. um, and how that shot you know, creates an overall impact on this, on the actual film itself. But I loved it. I was like, that's awesome. Kudos to that. Um, I like the cinematography. There was this one part at the very end. Um, it showed the blood of Fitzgerald being pretty much going into the river and it shows the other part of the river in the same shot. And I was like, that really just sums up the whole movie and his whole pivoting point in his decision of revenge that just one shot without any words showed that. So I was like, that's awesome. And that portion, violence, it took it to the next level. Um, we didn't talk too much on it, but at the end fight scene, you basically see the hand and they just go one step further and show the hand just getting chopped off 
or not completely chopped off, but just completely attacked. And that was pretty cool. It's like two fingers, like his last two fingers, right? Exactly. And, just, and you just see and the blood come don't out. Don't expect just, it. Oh you God. don't expect it. Yeah, like the coolest thing about that is like Leo gets like stabbed in the hand mm-hmm. and then like oh, yeah, he, the, he's just like, ah, uh, and the camera tracks from Tom Hardy's taking out his knife, mm-hmm. tracks the knife, lands in Leo's hand then yep. it tracks to Leo's face in pain yeah. Leo reaches over grabs the axe and it tracks the axe all, the way, right. down, all the way down to Tom Hardy's two uh, yep. on her fingers and it just focuses in on that That's and it. then Tom Hardy rolls over and it tracks to Tom Hardy just like the like the amount of like precise camera work yeah. on that is amazing Yeah, and I would say my last treasure is it was visually pleasing there was good contrast I was expecting just to see a whole lot of white the whole movie you know, there's a whole bunch of ice and snow, but they really played off the darker colors in it, and there was a lot of contrast, saturation, high trees. They took advantage of that landscape, mm-hmm. so it really worked well. And um, yeah, definitely, I was glad I saw it. Uh, so my my trash with this movie, uh, kind of like um, what Mugga was saying, I'm not a fan of uh, debris hitting the lens. Um, like, while I do appreciate the you know, the, the close up wide angles of a lot of things, um, it really does immerse you in the entire experience of what all of our characters are going through. Um, but I do feel like I am taken out of the moment when debris, breath, you know, whatever water, the elements hit the camera. I feel like now there's a wall in front of me. Like I feel like, um, I'm watching an exhibition or a documentary or something like that. Like, you know, I was a part of the experience and now I'm now I'm being reminded that I'm not in it and that yeah. takes me out of the movie. You know, we were talking about this earlier, but I feel like because of the low to the ground shot, uh, because of the wide angle, you know, once dirt hits the screen, like I feel like I'm watching like a BMX video for like the X Games or something. It's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but other than that, like, um, you know, I was I was put off by it at first. Um, I didn't enjoy the wide wide angle lens shots in the favorite um, at all. But in this movie, I think it's done a lot better. Um, there isn't a lot of distortion in the imagery. Um, you know, you just kind of feel like you're in the space. So I think it's done much better in this film. I do like the fact that we're constantly in characters' faces. Faces, you know, whether intentional or not, plays like a big role, I guess, in the uh, visuals in this movie. Whenever there's dialogue, the camera goes from face to face or um, the face is always the focal point with other elements of the shot kind of receding into the background. And I think... Um, that's a nice contrast to the, um, I guess the more flat shots of the landscapes, whenever you have like establishing shots or you want to kind of show the, the harsh elements that a lot of these people are in, you have these really wide from a distance shots of landscapes, uh, with, you know, no trees. It's just kind of barren, savage. And then whenever you have a human face, there's always motion and it's always up close and it's always claustrophobic and you feel the aloneness um, that these characters kind of feel out in the wilderness. So I thought that um, just the visual style of it all um, really kind of conveyed the sense of loneliness, desperation, you know, the need to survive in this kind of barren wasteland. Love the bear attack. I thought that was great. I had never seen uh, anything like that before. Like you said, Mugs, like I did have to walk out of the room uh, on my own viewing. I was just kind of like, oh, snap. And I had to walk out like, they're really doing this. And then I had to rewind it and watch the whole thing again. My favorite sequence is the final fight with Tom Hardy and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That was my favorite sequence in the, in the whole movie. It just felt so raw and real. And you could finally feel you know, all the strength come back to Leonardo DiCaprio and he was he was just all in like he was he was not messing around I like how 
he, you know, used um, the captain or whoever as a decoy after he got killed and scalped. Um, so I, I like the fact that there's a bit more strategy to it, not just, you killed my son. Like, you know, they were outsmarting each other. I, I appreciated that stuff. Tom Hardy's performance is great. Everybody's performance is great. You know, going back to what I think, Jason, you mentioned, my biggest trash is I feel well, one of my biggest trashes, I feel like Hawk is underutilized. I don't necessarily have a problem with him being added to Glass's story for the sake of this movie. It provides a proper motivation, but I don't ever feel like we spend enough time with Glass to give a damn about his family. Like there's a lot of flashback. There's a lot of talk. You know, he has the hallucinations of his wife and whatever. I never really feel like him and his son have a bond that I want to see keep going on. Yeah, like, not 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 even at the end when no, nah, like when I, Tom I, Hardy is like nah. like trying to like nah, dude. Like the uh, line where he says, "Um, you know, I'm not afraid to die. All I had left was that boy, and you know, he took him away from me." But I don't ever feel the weight of that emotion on him. Like I never like watching them in the opening, even watching his the scene where his son dies, and even you know Leonardo DiCaprio's acting the hell out of that scene. Prior to that. I don't ever feel like this is a connection that I want to last. It's a little awkward at first. Huh? Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of like I'm stuck with you yeah. <laughs> is essentially what it feels like. I'm stuck with you and we're stuck with a bunch of these assholes. Like I would have preferred if the movie opened with a flashback of Leonardo da Vinci, da Vinci's <laughs> of uh, I'm just saying Leonardo of, of uh, Glass's village where he lived with the Native Americans getting attacked and showing his wife die. If you're going to be that brutal with everything else. They showed them sleeping together, right? I yeah, they show them yeah. sleeping. And then, you know, in, in one of the cuts or one of the shots, she's vanished from that picture. Yeah. It's just him and the son, you know, kind of being representative of her not being there. But show that. Open with that. Open with the attack. Open with him. Him and the son only surviving. Maybe even show him killing the, uh, the military servicemen that he killed. That they keep saying that he killed. Show me that stuff. And don't just talk about it or have these whimsical flashbacks every so often because I want to feel that he has this emotional connection to his son. And I don't think the flashbacks and the hallucinations do a good job of that at all. So I I don't ever feel like the father-son relationship was genuine, at least how it's portrayed on film. But that's just my opinion. And then, uh, I mean, I got some other stuff we could talk about after, but I did notice one thing. He's always in a cocoon of some sort throughout this movie. So the bear falling on top of him, um, being wrapped up between his son and his wife. When they wrap him up on the gurney and the stretcher, you know, after he gets in the bear attack, uh, when he gets buried alive by Tom Hardy after they leave him for dead, uh, when he gets covered in the bear fur, um, after he kind of gets out, he's wrapped up in it. When the Pawnee Native American made him that tree hut, he was wrapped up in that with all the herbs and everything on his, on his wounds when he fell off the cliff and had to sleep in the horse carcass. We didn't talk about that yet, but we probably will, but yeah. Yeah, when he uh, when he switches places with the dead captain and he's wrapped up on the back of the horse, he's constantly going through some sort of a metamorphosis at different points in the film where he's wrapped up in some way. And each time he unwraps himself, he emerges stronger than he was before. I never looked at it that way. Yeah. You guys, know, I, I'm just like, sorry, I love I you, Kurt, because I'm like, what the hell are you going with this on this? And I've never looked at it that angle. Yeah, yeah so I think, um, I guess you could say metamorphosis is kind of showing his, you know, as, as uh, you know, like tadpoles, caterpillars, all that other stuff, they, they transform into these other creatures. And I think, each stage of the movie shows a different metamorphosis that helps him survive in the 
upcoming conditions. You know, he's yeah. a, he's leveled up essentially. There it's just like, go. oh, you yeah. made it here, you made it this far, and now here's your power up. Yeah. You know, that's just kind of how it feels throughout the film. And I think when you talk about uh, man and survival, um, it is him constantly moving to the next level to tackle whatever difficulties come his way. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, once again, but I, I thought that was really strong recurring visual theme throughout the movie. But that's that's my my trash or treasure. Oh, also the score, yeah. I didn't notice it half the time, which I liked. Oh, okay. Yeah, didn't yeah. notice it. It wasn't like time. The Rock, huh? Where it was every yeah. single time. I, I appreciated the silence and I didn't notice the score until I think towards the end of the movie. And I was like, oh, snap, there's a score. I actually liked that it was quiet. That, and that's the thing, too. Like, it, I had to, when I watched it again this morning, I had to really focus and, like, oh, there mm-hmm. is music yeah. playing in the background of some of these scenes. And it's, but it's so subtle, but. It, I don't know. It, it's almost silent, but it's just enough where it's not silent. I don't know. Yeah. It's, just, it's just barely there. I like it. There's, great. there's like that one little, you know, a lot of movies do it. The favorite did it, but it was just like continuous, like bum, 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 the same noise over and over. And it gradually gets a little bit louder. It had that, but very silent. I, I've always been a fan as of opposed, that. As opposed to The Rock, where uh, <laughs> the music's blaring uh, the entire movie, which is Why they're awesome talking, too. Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's awesome too, but yeah. <laughs> you can't go wrong, I guess. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I know one thing we didn't. I thought you guys would bring up the scene where he's in the horse. Like we I thought we were. We didn't it. really talk about it, which You're is right. a big part of the scene. It is. I mean, what do you guys? I, I don't. I don't know. Like he actually did that, right? He, not not DiCaprio. Like Hugh Glass, right? Didn't at one time he actually go on a horse, or am I just uh, looking from into? From what it? I read, it was never confirmed. Never confirmed. Okay, yeah, it was never but confirmed. that was something that people would do. Like back in that those time frames, right? Yeah, I ended up looking at it, and people did it. And even yeah. like recently, I think because of this movie, obviously we saw it in the Empire Strikes Back. Yes, but there was a girl that was up in Portland. I read, you know, is what I read online. But a girl up in Portland actually did that. She went into an animal carcass, and her boyfriend took photos of her and put it on Instagram, just because. But you know, obviously not for survival skills, but you know, do it for the gram. Well, that would be wow. god awful. Okay. <laughs> But my thing is, like, so the way Empire Strikes Back shows it is a lot, you know, PG-ish. Mm-hmm. This, they really go into detail of showing he takes the guts out and all that, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you're just like, my God, this guy is willing to go to any lengths to yeah. just, like, survive, you know? Yeah, supposedly, depending on the animal, uh, they said the smaller animals can do about two to four hours of actual warmth. The bigger buffaloes, they're maybe good for, like, six to eight horses. They're saying about six hours, which could for one night be okay the biggest issue though would when you get out your clothes are wet with blood and just inside fluids and whatever's in there um, but that is that's something that's a negative effect and him getting naked is more real because you you dry yourself off however you need to and then you get in your clothes so you don't go in your clothes right so. It's crazy. It, it, it was an intense scene. Yeah, when you see him taking all the, the guts, innards yeah. and guts out oh my god that, that was this, I turned my head on that part too. Another thing I wanted to bring up Kerwin so like, like we talked about how the the debris or the, you know, the fought, whatever, on the camera screen. At the very end, Leonardo DiCaprio is now just looking straight into the camera. And there's a controversy of, are you breaking the fourth wall right then and there? Or what, I, I, you guys' thoughts on the ending of this thing, you know? Well, uh, we kind of talked about this before in pre-production, but, um, you know, very quickly you notice that the camera zooms in on faces or not necessarily zooms in, but is very focused on faces during dialogue. The camera switches between faces. Uh, there's never, there's never a wide shot during conversation. Um, 
and I actually like the fact that at the very end of the movie, you know, for all of for all of this two hours and thirty whatever minutes of being forced to look into people's faces and kind of have uh, this intimate relationship with them, you know, as per the visuals, that the very last shot of the of the movie is Leonardo DiCaprio's character looking directly at us. Now, what I want to know is, you know, what is the message that's being sent to us? Because you don't do that on accident. Right. You do that on purpose. So what is what is the message being, you know, sent our way? Um, because there there was one thing in the movie that very much stood out to me that was very overt. Uh, it's when the Native American man that helps him heal, you know, is hung from the trees. And in French it says, uh, on est tous des sauvages, which can mean we are all savages or they are all savages. Um, so I want to know if that's an overt attempt at conveying the themes because you have, you know, just people slaughtering each other the entire movie, people that are strangers, people that know each other, people with familial relationships, people that have stakes in something, people that don't have any stakes in something. And this Native American man just happened to be a random casualty, kind of illustrating how, you know, the nicest guy, you know, to glass this entire movie other than his son and probably, uh, was it Bridger? Yeah. yeah, you know, is murdered essentially and left for dead with that sign on him. Once again, you don't do that on accident. So I want to know if the theme of this movie or one of the themes of this movie is that we are all savages when you strip away our loved ones, when you take away our well-being, when you take away our ability to survive. We're all savages. We're all animals in this landscape. Does the landscape possibly represent something other than just being the deadly landscape. Uh, Leo looking directly at us into the camera kind of makes us question how far would we go? You know, some sort of message is being given to the audience because you don't just look directly at us. Do you think that it has a message of like, is revenge even necessary? Like, I mean, I, I don't know. That's why I could like, like, is it like, hey, he got his revenge. Now what? I mean, I towards like, does that, it's still that emptiness. I, I don't know. I, I always looked at it that way. Like, I know his, this whole movie, his whole like purpose is like revenge, revenge. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you got it. And it's just like, he's looking at the camera like, well, I, I don't know. I always wondered. Yeah. Well, because he sees his, he has a hallucination of his wife right before yeah. he looks at the camera. Right. And the thing too is like, um, the, the Pawnee Native American tells him, you know, um, revenge is like God's work or something like that. Yeah. So like. I, I like that that came back because once again you don't just I feel like there's a lot of stuff so, that's just yeah. there and you're just waiting for it to, to come back and he does come back Inaritu does bring a lot of that stuff back but like he's about to kill Tom Hardy Fitzgerald and he literally looks up and there are the Native Americans there just walking by yeah. right there and he's just like you know what I'm not even gonna I, yeah. I, I've, I've already got my revenge. Now I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it be yeah. and let nature take its course. Yeah, and I would say that's the biggest thing I got. I always, I always look for like philosophical themes and how they end in a movie. And when I saw this, you know, the whole time you're fixed on him getting his revenge. And when they say revenge is God's work, that's what he wants is the revenge on this. But then he sees the bigger picture of these other people wanting revenge. And by him giving that body to them, a bigger picture, something that was outside his course and scope of life was seen. So, yeah, and and him looking, actually looking at the, the the camera, I just felt that was something different and it was powerful. I didn't take it, you know, like you need to look at this certain theme. I just thought it was real powerful how we, how it how it ended. You heard his breath. It was raw. It was visceral, like the whole movie was. So, great ending. <laughs> All right. So I have I have just one more thing before we get into ticket prices. So. They go to uh, the French guys, Toussaint, 
the leader of the French guys with the big jacket or whatever. Oh, yeah. And they're talking about like, yo, we want horses. We got to find uh, the girl that's missing. Uh, Powaka, I believe mm-hmm. is her name. Yeah. So Glass stumbles upon to their camp and there goes Toussaint, you know, um, you know, essentially raping her. So at any point in the film, did they show that Powaka was with the French guys at any point in the film before that? I feel like that's a plot hole, but I feel like I might have missed something because those guys come after they raid the camp and kill all those guys. They come to the French trying to trade the furs for equipment and ammunition to go hunt the guys that may or may not have taken Powaka. So did they show that Powaka was there at all at the French camp before Leonardo stumbled across them much later in the film? No. Not that I recall. No, they didn't. Yeah. I think there was a little indication when he gave the horses so freely, when he talked about, you know, you guys took my land, my daughter has been taken, or Polanka has been taken, and they kind of, like, I feel like they kind of allude to it a little bit. Here's five horses, just get on the way, maybe I took that the wrong way, but you're right, they didn't show her, and all of a sudden she's there, like, oh. I just kind of felt like she just showed up. And while there's payback for it, because he rescues her, he they spare his life, essentially, after he hands them Tom Hardy's character. But I kind of feel like that's a, that's a subplot, a B or a C plot that I'd like to see fleshed out a little more. I kind of felt like, oh, wow, he found the girl that they're yeah. looking for. <laughs> By the way, she's with the same group of people that, that they just went to. Yeah. yeah, I'm just like, so... Did we see an indication of her? I'm just going to assume that I missed that because I'd only seen the movie once at this point as of this review. So I think it's a plot hole, but I might have to rewatch it and, and look at that again. But True. yeah, so yeah, that's it for me. Ticket prices. All right. So uh, let's get into our ticket prices. Jason, how much would you pay to watch The Revenant? I think even though that they didn't stick to the story that we know about Hugh Glass that I talked about in the beginning of the episodes, like very strictly, I mean, they, they Hollywooded it up, if you will, a little bit by adding Hawk, by doing certain things, uh, the ending with uh, Fitzgerald and Glass. I like this movie a lot. I think I got to go 20. I think I got to go $20. So. Mugga, how much are you paying to watch The Revenant? So if you watch Birdman, which I really love, you know, I highly recommend it. If we were to give a rating, I give it a high rating. It's not one of those movies that a lot of other people would get, or like like you said, maybe over their head, you know? Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies that I think I would always recommend, hey, you wanna watch a good movie? Go watch The Revenant. Um, I, I I just think it's on so many levels amazing with its acting, the directing, how they, I, I cannot give this anything less than a 20. I have to give it the 20. I, I When someone's like, hey, okay, so if you had to like pick, a, I was like, go watch The Revenant. Like, this is what I would recommend. And I feel like a lot of people would agree with you. You know what I mean? Like, there's other movies that are like, you know, well received, but like people just don't get like this is one of those like okay I get it you know like my parents love it you know what I mean my mom hates movies you know but yeah so I, I I'm giving this a twenty. Do you think it's weird that they consider this a western movie? I do. I, I do. I saw yeah. that and I'm like what? Because I uh, personally I never once thought western when I was watching this, but then when I was doing some research, they said this was like the second highest grossing western movie of all time. So I, 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 but I never thought of it as a Western. I don't know what you're, what yeah. you think, Kerwin? Like when I see this, I think Western. You do? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't think about that at first. Mm-hmm. I was just curious your thoughts. Yeah. All right, David, how much would you pay to watch The Revenant? So going into it, when they shot the horse, I was like, this is going to zero. I'm not watching this ever again. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm all like about animals and stuff like that. Um, but towards the end of it, rethinking all the effort that they put into this, um, the length of time, just how 
the actors really adapted to what they were given um, at the scene. I would say um, I gave it a 15 because I really look for philosophical themes at the end and it was satisfying, but I wanted more. I feel like uh, Native Americans could have played a bigger role in it. Um, I feel like there could have been more of this earth. Um, I I love the quotes that they brought up. There were great quotes, but I just want a little bit more. But overall, it was an amazing movie and I'm sad that I waited this long to watch it. Me, like I was hovering between 15 and 20, but much like the um, kind of the sun aspect of the film, I feel like there are certain things that weren't touched upon um, that I didn't mention in my Trash or Treasure, but I feel like, um, you know, the themes of savagery um, kind of, it was a little overt with the sign, but I kind of I kind of felt like um, the Native Americans, like you're saying, David, get lost in a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here we are with the B plot or the C plot looking for this girl and, um, you know, almost no um, attention is kind of paid to it not a lot of it it just works as a plot device to kill Tom Hardy at the end and I feel like that's that's a little lazy if you want to kind of talk about the theme of we are all savages I would have liked to see a more heavily involved subplot involving the Native American searching for the daughter or showing how she came to be kidnapped in the case of Glass's wife we never see or pay that much attention to how she was taken away from him and his son. With the relationship with the son, I never truly feel like there's a true emotional bond. And I feel like dealing with the rawness of the environment, I am okay with um, his son kind of being killed unceremoniously. You, you know, you think you kind of want it to be like a spectacle the way his son dies, but I do appreciate that because of the rawness of the movie. I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I do feel like there are things that are missing that could have been dived into a little deeper. And considering how long this movie is with a lot of the long shots that are included in it, some of that stuff might've been able to have been cut down a little bit in favor of some more um, focus on the Pawnee tribe, or was it uh, the Re that he was running from? The Re, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Showcase, showcase the Re a little more because they they're also on a mission, not of you know bringing death and destruction, but because you know they've had their land taken from them, they've had their women and children killed, they've had their whole livelihood upended. You know, like they're looking for they're looking for one girl, they're looking for the dude's daughter. Like, I would have appreciated to see that story more organically come in line with Glass's story at the end and not work as a device to show that, well, if you're if you're the one guy that's good, you can throw Tom Hardy to to them at the end. And I kind of feel like that's the only purpose they served in the movie. And I thought that was kind of weak. There's better ways to do that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give this movie a 15. So that's my score for this movie. Sweet. So total 17.5. It's not bad. So uh, who would Tom Cruise play if he was in this movie? What character would you be? Yeah, you're going first. I think it's so hard because Tom Hardy's great and I don't I don't want to take either one of them out mm-hmm. I think you have to go I don't even know I, I would say Tom Hardy I think he'd be great but I'm not doing that I I think the uh, um, and I don't know his name but the guy that leads the whole Domo Gleason. yeah the the guy that leads their how would you say it their unit their troop, or troop or whatever, whatever yeah, yeah. Maybe just him. So because Captain of, Henry or is it? Yeah. Okay, I think. Because he, he, he's, he's, a, he's a great character Andrew. in here, you know. I, I just, I cannot see taking away Tom Hardy or Leo. Uh, me personally, I mean, I don't want to take away either one of them either, but I'm I'm going to say Fitzgerald. I think he could be Tom Hardy's really? character. Yeah, yeah, I think Tom Cruise could do it. I think it'd be a tough role for him, but I think if he, if he you know, 
got into it and he could he could pull it off. I think it'd be cool to see him. Have you it. have you ever seen is it collateral that he's in where he has with Jamie Foxx? Yes, and he's the villain. It's really awkward the whole movie because I'm like, Tom Cruise is not a villain, man. And it's just you think he could pull the villain off, huh? I don't know. I would like to see him try. I think I would like to yeah. see him try. Right. And his physique. Jesus. There it is. We almost got through it. We almost got through it. <laughs> throw it in there. <laughs> well, he would have survived the bear attack if... There you uh, go. Right. Yeah. I guess I should have picked Leo. Right? Yeah. Um, me, I would probably go with either Glass or the Captain. I think um, Tom Cruise has the acting chops to kind of pull off a lot of what Leonardo did um, because, you know, he does a lot of his own stunts. He does a lot of the his physical work, et cetera. And I think, you know, he, he can be that intense dude. Like we've seen that in previous movies, you know, um, A Few Good Men, that court yeah. scene alone shows you the intensity he can he can go with. Um, or the captain. I, I never feel like Donald Gleason really has a hold on the group of men that no. he's leading. Yeah. And I feel like you needed somebody to be much more of a heavier presence on camera to tell Tom Hardy to back down. But I think maybe that adds to the fact that makes Tom Hardy more threatening because he comes off as like a bigger, more grizzled guy and makes the captain look so weak. That's what makes him look like a more worthy antagonist. So maybe that works. But I would say I'd replace Leo with Tom Cruise or replace Donald Gleason with Tom Cruise. Nice. David? So I would say Tom Cruise should be Pacwa, the captive. Good daughter. Why? <laughs> Why, David? No, I'm just kidding. On a, I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? Like, I was like You really got to talk yourself out of this one. <laughs> no, on a more serious note, I say Captain Andrew Henry, for sure. Um, maybe he didn't carry an alpha presence, just like, like you said. Um, that could take away the dynamic of the group. Um, but I think he would be really good. Um, in an alpha role such as the captain which is what it's needed but like I said if you switch that up maybe you look at the other characters differently nice he could be the bear <laughs> oh we didn't bring that up he could be Bridger too like Bridger was a little bitch I feel like Jesus uh, Tom Cruise maybe he could have pulled off you know someone that's not a huge part in the movie but at least made him more I don't know not such a like you really like he's a bitch I mean I know this movie takes place in the winter but that's yeah. cold <laughs> Your first pun, all, all one. Now I, we're getting. I kept into... waiting for you the whole time to say like, "Yeah, uh, Leo barely lived after the attack." I was waiting for that one the entire time. Too easy. <laughs> so uh, on that note, fuck you, Sally. Thanks for listening to this episode of Twenty Dollar Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening.